Good morning. <laughs> if you have your Bibles, turn to Mark, Mark chapter 5. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 20 today. We're not going to read them all together at the beginning, but we'll read them as we go. Mark chapter 5, as we conclude our series uh, called Mark and Ministry to the Multitudes, we'll pick Mark back up at a later time this year. Uh, you don't want to miss the month of December. The month of December, we will uh, go through a series called Best Gift Ever, and we've got some things coming out for that. So we look forward to that and look forward to uh, ministering to a lot of people during Christmas, as many of you have uh, given and will give Christmas house. And so um, it's an exciting time to be in church. Amen. And so I wish you a happy Thanksgiving and look forward to a great Christmas together in Lindsay Lane. Mark chapter 5, Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. I want to tell you on the front today that we're going to be preaching on demons today. Uh, and Jesus' ministry to free those up who were possessed by evil spirits. And I don't care if you think these things are not real or real or whatever. We're going to pray and stop right now. Uh, because I know when we preach on things like evil spirits and demons, then Satan would like nothing more than to distract. But he is a defeated foe. Amen? So we're going to call on the Lord now and just ask him to preside over our message today as we preach. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. And we pray that you would lead us not into temptation, but that you would deliver us from evil. We pray over your word and that your spirit would preside over us today so that the truth may be preached with clarity and received on hearts of good soil. Lord, we thank you again for your word. And we thank you for your presence, your indwelling presence, Lord, that frees us and guides us and protects us. And we pray now again, Lord, that your word would be made plain in our mind and hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Before the multitudes, before the multitudes, Jesus proved his divinity by exerting authority over the physical world, and he did so through healing. We looked at that last week. But what we will read today is Jesus exercising authority over the spiritual world through casting out demons. And in doing so, he further authenticates his power to forgive sins and his primary message of repentance of sin and turning to God by faith in Jesus. A widely known film website took a poll to determine the top 10 scariest movies of all time. And they put together this top 10 list and number one at the top of the list is The Exorcist from 1973. Now for the sake of full disclosure, I've never seen it. And I'm not just saying that, I've never seen it because my wife and I, we don't like scary movies and Again, we'd rather watch Hallmark Christmas movies so everything turns out in the end all right. <laughs> but at the same time, those can be as deceiving as scary movies sometimes. Amen? But we don't like horror movies, and I think the reason that we don't like horror movies is this is not so much a message on preaching against horror movies, but the reason that we don't like those is because we don't want to waste or spend an entire hour and a half on anxiety. But The Exorcist is about attempts to free a young child from demon possession. This movie actually sparked hysteria across the country in the 1970s. Protests were held over the subject matter. Reports from those who saw it in theaters had nausea and fainting in the audience. It was widely reported. The set was even rumored to have been cursed. So they brought in a priest to perform a sort of blessing over the cast and crew and set. Yeah, maybe don't express creativity through horror films and you won't have to call the preacher in, right? 
Like, that's the thing I thought. You won't even have to make that call if you don't make the movie. But isn't it interesting that the survey found this battle between demonic activity and the power of God as the number one scariest movie, according to people? Listen, demon possession is in the Bible and it's in the world. Research says that demon possession and exorcisms are becoming increasingly documented within the stress of our modern world. But as sort of a side message, you don't need to confuse possession and temptation. Sometimes the things that we go through are not because there's a devil inside of us, it's because we are entertaining the darkness that he is within. Don't confuse possession and temptation. Temptation is when you are drawn to attraction or desire for something. Possession is when something has you. That's two different things. Jesus was tempted in Matthew chapter 4 by Satan, but Satan certainly didn't have him, and he never will. The Bible says that after Jesus fought against this temptation by the sword of the Spirit, which is your Bible, the same word that he spoke is the same word that we have. The Bible says the devil went away when he quoted Scripture up against temptation. The same spiritual weapon... That is the word of God, the one that we hold today, the one that's on your phone or in your lap, can be the counter to the temptation that you are giving into by reading and claiming and proving true the word of God. The scripture goes on, Matthew 25 refers to the return of King Jesus addressing the side that is in opposition to him on the earth, saying, Away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. The prince of this world while it lasts and those who are his agents. Jesus referred to the devil as the ruler of this world. It's not a Halloween costume and it's not some religious thing. Jesus spoke to the devil as the ruler of this world in John chapter 14 verse 30. A temporary ruler of this cursed world world with sin until Jesus establishes his future earthly reign, but a ruler nonetheless. So there is this enemy, and then there is biblically these evil agents called demons that are fallen, but not yet confined, and they war against all of those. The Bible says in Revelations twelve seventeen that demons war against all of those who keep God's commandments and maintain their testimony for Jesus. Just as a very brief but biblical synopsis for demonic activity, the Bible teaches that demons inflict disease. That's in Luke chapter 13. That demons influence the mind in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. That demons deceive people in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. And that demons even deceive nations. The Bible says in Revelation 16, 14, that demonic spirits do miraculous things to deceive rulers of the world to battle against the Lord. You see, it's, it's more than just recent research that you read from articles and journalists that are educated to report. We read in the scriptures of those needing exorcism or deliverance. From the possession of demons. And we also read in the scripture of activity and influence. Of the evil, dark side, opposition, whatever you want to call it. It's demonic activity. Mark chapter 1 verse 32 says, That evening after sunset, many sick 
and demon-possessed people were brought to Jesus. Many of them. It's very likely that there was an increase in demonic activity as soon as Jesus arrived on the scene with his ministry. And one such example of that activity is what we will read today in Mark chapter 5. Let's look at Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. The Bible says, so they arrived at the other side of the lake in the region of Gerasenes. And when Jesus climbed out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came out from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the burial caves and could no longer be restrained, even with a chain. Note the power of the demon. Whenever he was put into chains and shackles, as he often was, He snapped the chains from his wrist and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Day and night, he wandered among the burial caves and in the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. There was a man possessed by an evil spirit. The spirit had him. He kept his life away from others. He lived among death harming himself, making violent noises. But this wasn't one who was influenced by evil. Evil had him. Evil had possessed him. Now, I don't know how it got to be, but I can tell you, when you put things that are hot on your lap, it's going to burn you. So, So if you are playing with dark things and you are entertaining things within your temple that shouldn't be there, or if you are questioning God at every turn while entertaining the world at every other turn, you can expect evil to pounce on you. He's the ruler of this world that's working in this world. I realize we've moved on from Halloween, and this may fit better back in October, but fear and spiritual warfare don't have a season. This happens all the time. And if we stopped here today at the end of verse 5 and talked about demonic activity in the world and how the Bible says that it's in the world, and we talk about how many that were demon-possessed were put before Jesus. If we stop there today, there's a re- there'd be a good chance that a lot of us would leave here just completely freaked out. Scared to death. But then Jesus shows up. Jesus shows up in Mark chapter 5, verses 6 through 13. Read with me. When Jesus was still some distance away, the man saw him, ran to meet him, and bowed low before him. With a shriek, he screamed, Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already said to the spirit, come out of the man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus demanded, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, because there are so many of us inside this man. And then the evil spirits begged him again and again not to send them to some distant place. There happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby. Send us into those pigs, the spirits begged. Let us enter them. So Jesus gave them permission. The evil spirits came out of the man, entered the pigs, and the entire herd of about 2,000 pigs plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned in the water at the sight of Jesus. At the appearance, the arrival of Jesus, the strong, demonic man caved like a bully who had just seen his victim's older brother. All that talk 
And all that power went way down once he saw King Jesus. Yes, the demon had great power, but now he was in the presence of the Most High God. And so that possession gave way to pouting as the power of evil bowed low before our good and godly King and Savior. Should you have a healthy respect for the darkness? Should you have a healthy respect for what evil can do and how it can affect? Absolutely. But if you are in Christ, you should not be afraid. If you are in Christ and Christ is in you, do not be afraid. And here's why. Because God's Spirit indwells. God's Spirit possesses you if He is inside of you. Now catch some of this doctrine. Demon possession is when a person has the presence of evil living within, exerting direct control. As this is the case, while a believer can be the target of evil activity or evil influence, there will be no possession because we are filled and dwelt by someone else who is more powerful. We are filled and indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. Therefore, when the activity and influence comes upon us, there will be no taking over because we've already been spoken for by the one who is God. In college, I was an intern with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. I worked a student camp at Black Mountain, North Carolina. And one night, we had gotten all the campers settled down into their rooms. Everybody in the room, doors closed, y'all go to bed. If you get up, we're going to tackle you. One of those threats, right? And long, it wouldn't take too long that in the darkness of the night, and by the way, bad things happen in the darkness of the night. You, my, I, I, we had a curfew too. My, did anybody's parents ever say things like, no, nothing good happens after 12? Man, I sometimes, I'm, I'm getting to where I'm believing that now that I got young kids, right? Y'all know they don't turn the lights on in the bars? Yeah, we don't get anything out of that one. I'm just saying. Bad things happen in the dark. <laughs> Whoa, I didn't realize that's going to. All right. It's true though. Some things happen in the dark. And at the darkness of the night, as we turned everybody into their room and turned the lights off, all of a sudden, my roommate and I started hearing little feet outside the hallways in the cover of darkness. And we figured out that these punks <laughs> had gotten up out of their bed and started running around and knocking on doors and barging in people's rooms and causing a bunch of trouble. And we could catch this from inside of our door. And my roommate said, here they come. Now, they didn't know we were in this room. He said, here they come. I didn't answer the door. And the reason I didn't answer the door is because my roommate did. And he was 6'3", 300 plus pounds, and was an offensive lineman at North Carolina State University. <laughs> so just about the time they got up to that door, and I can picture the kid almost having his hand like this right here. He whips open the door and says, get out of your room. And I'm talking about scattered, quiet, throughout the night. I'm talking about immediate running back to the dorm room, doors closed. We didn't hear anything to the morning. Best sleep we had all week. His voice shook the dwelling place. Their disruption stopped when they opened the door to the truth of what was before them. The presence of a greater power and a greater authority. 
This is who is inside of us Christians. The Spirit of God is a greater, the greatest power inside of us. Greater than the darkness you face, greater than the temptation that we are up against, more authority over than what you feel or somebody tells you who you are. The Spirit of God tells the truth, the truth of God. For every Christian here today, the Spirit of God, biblically, the Bible says in John 14, 17, lives within. And even better, He never leaves. That's John chapter 14, verse 16. And if Satan is the temporary ruler of this world, then greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And Romans chapter 8 verse 9 says, You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. All these scriptures go to show that while you may be the target of dark temptation and you may be the target of evil influence, there will be no takeover from evil in you because you belong to God. All power and all authority of the God who dwells within. Sometimes the best way to defend against attack from the evil one and the enemy is to know the truth of your position and to not be deceived to thinking that you are susceptible to a possession from a lesser power if the Spirit of God is in you. Let me tell you the truth. This is truth. This week as we turned our staff loose to go to Thanksgiving holiday, much needed holiday, they worked very hard, and they left. And sometimes the best time for me to study is when everybody leaves and everybody's gone. And I can just sit in my office and be very quiet and study alone with the Word of God. And as I sit here this week and study demonic influence and study possession of evil, I can almost feel a fear attached to it. Alone in my office, I can almost fear a feel, a, a, a fear of the enemy that is around me. I'm not trying to give you any crazy stuff. I'm just telling you the truth. And even as I sit here and think about, is there something behind me? Is there something going on? Is there something within me? The Bible says different. The Bible tells me that the Spirit of God is not just on my side, that the Spirit of God is in me that he is more powerful, and that Satan, when Jesus shows up, he leaves. So guess what? I start praying in Jesus' name, and you got a message today. That's the truth. That's the truth. And I'll also tell you this. There have been times this happened. I, I would say this hasn't happened a bunch in my life. There have been times when I've woken up in the middle of the night, and there's a physical darkness, but I can sense a spiritual darkness. You know what I do? I pray in Jesus' name. And you know what else happens? I go back to bed. Because when Jesus shows up, the demon leaves. And I'm not telling you there's been specific demons and all this stuff that I've seen. I'm just telling you when I can sense darkness, I mention Jesus and it gets better. There is nothing that separates us from the love of God. The Bible that I read says neither death nor life nor angels nor demons. Neither the powers of hell. And what do we pray? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I, there is power in the name of Jesus. And I, I offer this encouragement to you. If you feel like you are being attacked by some evil, some power of darkness that seems to be overtaking you, then you just get like a child on your knees, as I did this week when everybody left. And I went down here and got on my knees and told my daddy what's going on. 
So, Lord, I'm just going to give this to you right now. In Jesus' name, I feel like this is a, a warfare. I called, I texted our pastors last night and I said, listen, I'm preaching on spiritual warfare, preaching on demons in the morning. I'm going to ask you guys to pray. When we stood here and prayed over the worship service today, I told our worship team up here, I said, listen, it's a little bit different this morning because we're preaching on demons. I need to pray in Jesus' name. All I know is when I read the scripture, there's a demon in this man. He's all big and bad and possessing of this guy. And Jesus shows up and he's like a little bitty baby. So pray in Jesus' name. Now, if we get within our flesh and we invite temptation, which we often do, and entertain ungodly ideas in our spiritual home that should not be there, then it's going to feel like war. When we're inviting temptation, when, when we are, are, have our guard down and we are doing things that God continuously convicts us of that are wrong, it's going to feel not peace. It's going to feel like a war because there's a resistance between the Spirit of God and the war that is darkness or evil. And demons in the Scripture are spirit beings with power. But there'll be no possession. Because in Mark chapter 1 and 5, the demons show decisively quick reverence in the presence of Jesus. Now, that's the good news. Here is a challenge to us. Notice from our text today in verses 6 through 13. I want you to notice the disposition of the demons. The disposition of the demon. When Jesus showed up, the demon in verse 6, the Bible says, ran to Jesus and bowed low. His name was Legion. That is the strength of 6,000 Roman soldiers. And under Jesus' authority, powerless. Bowed low before the living God. Verse 7 says that the demon shrieked and screamed. That's a response from one in judgment. In verses 7 and 10, it says that the demon begged Jesus as he made request. Now, I'm going to challenge you with this today, church. God truly help us if we read and see more knowledge, reverence, and response for Jesus in the life of a demon than we do the life of a church. Recent research suggests that almost three in ten practicing Christians believe all people pray to the same God, no matter what his name I've also read where 30% of evangelicals believe Jesus to be merely a great teacher. Now, that's just 3 in 10. Is that such a big deal? Let's just take this section. Let's count 10, 3 out of that 10, then 3 out of that 10, then 3 out of this 10. All of a sudden, it becomes a big deal, doesn't it? How is it that we know more about Black Friday deals and depth charts than we do our Savior and Lord? I'm inclined to believe or agree with one Christian pastor and author who said, the modern church is producing passionate people filled with empty heads who love the Jesus they don't even know very well. May this not be true of Lindsay Lane. Amen? Get to know your Savior. Some of you today even thought to yourself for the first time, there's power in the name of Jesus. I need to start praying in Jesus' name when I feel like I'm under attack. Get to know his power. Get to know his authority and his goodness and his holiness. Y'all, if Jesus is just a teacher or if he's one God out of many, then why in the world did the demon bow low when he showed up? Why in the world did this demon give himself up 
when Jesus showed up, if he's just one of many. If, if he's just a good teacher, a good instructor, why did the demons say have mercy and beg and shriek and scream in judgment? Because Jesus is God, that's why. Because this is how one spiritual being of a lesser value and power acknowledges the most high God. Jesus is the object of our faith. As the Son of God with all the nature and the power of the Almighty, He is God. And He Himself is the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. And it may sound strange to you, but the demons have got it right. He's all-powerful. And the one to whom we should revere and make request. I would say to you, be respectful to all people, as we think about the three in ten that are being very sympathetic to other people's beliefs, as we think about the three in ten that are grouping Jesus into one of the great teachers of the world and all of these things, I would say to you, be very respectful to all people, but do not allow the world's deception that everything is okay. And do not allow the world's deception that all roads lead to heaven when Jesus has said otherwise. So yes, we should be respectful to all people, but it's better that we reach the world with the hope of Christ than to sympathize with those who believe something different in the name of tolerance. God doesn't tolerate us. He transforms us. That's what he's out to do. Tolerance leaves people alone to be who they are. And thank God Almighty, God didn't tolerate me. But that his spirit pursued me by conviction that I was wrong and that he was right. Tolerance just leaves people to be who they are. Who are we apart from the forgiveness and the righteousness of God? Separate from God forever. So, no, we shouldn't take a tolerance approach to the world. We should take a I got what you need approach to the world. God doesn't tolerate us. He loves us for the purpose of changing us. I... Parents, we don't tolerate our kids' behavior, do we? If we do, something's wrong. I'm going to tell you, my parents are here. They didn't tolerate my behavior. They didn't tolerate me and my sister. Whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. And and that love reaches to change who you are, to, to conform us to the image of Christ. So when we think about the world around us, may I say today, it's okay to stand on what I just said. Church, it's okay in the world to respectfully and within humility stand and say, I don't think that you're right. I think that that's actually wrong. It's okay. Because it's not God's desire to be tolerant. God has a standard. And sometimes, y'all, I can just tell you, it disagrees with my flesh sometimes, all that God is, but I don't get to make the rules because I ain't God. And sometimes I think we need to hear that. We are not the supreme authority. We don't get to decide what's right and wrong. There is one who is greater. Your life did not come from your own doing. Your death will be sure as it is for everybody else. There is a God. His name is Jesus. He sets the standard. Stand with that. Amen. So while I say to you, respect all people, and that's in the Scripture. 
Respect all people. Respect the king is even what the Bible says. And some of us need to hear that. I would also say give no respect or priority or any other high place to any other God. Because there ain't one. And by other God, I don't just mean the names that we could pull out of things that people believe. By other gods, I also mean idols. I mean a relationship. I mean a career. The things that we give God's place in our life that only she should have. And by gods, I mean a Buddha, a school book, or a ball. Somebody say amen. For that place is reserved for our king, our savior, and our God Jesus. Now let's read verses 14 through 17. The herdsmen who were there looking on fled to the nearby town and the surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. People rushed out to see what had happened. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus, and they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. And he was sitting there fully clothed and perfectly sane, (laughs) and they were all afraid. And then those who had seen what had happened told the others about the demon-possessed man and the pigs. And the crowd began pleading with Jesus to go away. And leave them alone. Jesus had sent the evil spirit into the herd of pigs. And the pigs possessed rushed to their drowning death. Now, I know some of you love your animals. (laughs) I know, and and we're going to talk about this for just a second. It never occurred to me when those pigs rushed to their death in the water, like not for once when I read that, I was all like, oh. (laughs) But I know, I know some of us are different. And you love animals and they are our great friends at times. So let's just put some perspective on this. For those who would take up for the pigs, I'm serious. Y'all are laughing. There's some, folks, some folks ain't laughing. They're ready to hear what I got to say. All right? For those of you that would take up for the pigs, just know that the soul of a man had been delivered. And it was not Jesus taking up possession in those pigs or that man. It was Satan. You want to be mad at somebody, don't be mad at Jesus. Be mad at Satan. As his agents were possessing, they had to possess something and as Jesus had set the standard for the way was the world was going to be until he returned, he sent them into a herd of pigs and a group of people got to witness the freeing power of God as Jesus said, come out of there and go into there. And it did. And they went and they drowned. Now, I think some would fault Jesus for directing the drowning death of the pigs. But Satan is the source of destruction. And this was a visual demonstration The wages of sin is what? Death. The wages of sin is death. Now, the herdsmen who were now without pigs go to the nearby town with their money on their mind and their mind on their money, or the other way around, and they were like, when they got there, some of the guys were like, where's the pigs? They're like, it ain't our fault. 
They're all dead. They're all dead. What do you mean they're all dead? This is our source of making money. They're all gone. It's not our fault. And then they testify and tell the story of what happened. And not only that, but they had a living visual aid as the man who was cutting himself and shrieking and screaming and naked was fully clothed and sane. As 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17 says, he is a new person. The old had gone and the new had come. And the crowd, with the miracle before him, asked Jesus to leave. Are y'all hearing that? With a changed life before them, that which they all needed, they asked Jesus to go away, to leave them alone. Like, what? Listen, sometimes what we need the most is what we send away. And for some of you that need that word, you already know what I mean. That at every turn when somebody tries to help you, and the very thing that you leave with every Sunday of knowing what to do. And even coming back here sometimes on Sunday mornings. Y'all, we prayed for some of you this morning that were making a decision between coming or not. That you thought you may be late. You don't need to show up late. Some people are here right now because of the spiritual warfare in their home or in their life. What we need the most is often what we send away. You see, the drowning of pigs meant the drowning of business. That's what that meant. And they were more fearful of economic attrition than they were the presence of evil. Think about that. They were more concerned with a worldly loss than a spiritual gain. More concerned of what they may lose, not even guaranteed the next minute of tomorrow. More concerned of what they may lose than, than what they would gain as the living God was in front of them. You know what I thought to myself? Why didn't one of them say, Oh, Lord. We have just seen you send all these pigs into the water. And just to be honest, that's a whole lot of month's wages. Would you restore that provision unto us? I think he would have done it. And I know that he could have. But instead of them seeking the living God who was before them with all power and authority, they asked him to go. They asked him to leave. What is it that you need the most that you're sending away? For those of you that are outside of God, outside looking inside, even being in church, you can send the Lord away. As the invitation comes every week, it's on your heart every week. You're entertaining the thought, one day soon, Lord, one day soon I'm going to give it all over to you. And then you never know what a day will bring. What is it that we need the most that we often send away? We need accountability. We need spiritual conversations. Guys, avoid those to the hilt. We don't want to talk about it because we don't know about it. And heaven help us if we had to ask a question and admit we don't know. Some of the reasons we won't get in a circle of people studying the Bible is because we think that everybody in that circle has the answers and we don't know any of them. Give me a break. We're just people, man. What we need the most is often what we send away. Our teenagers need discipleship, but we fill that slot with something else. Our kids need foundation, but we fill that slot with something else. We need to learn how to read the Bible. 
But what we need the most, we often send away. We need to get involved in serving. We need to go on a mission trip. But what we need the most, we often send away. And we send these opportunities away, basically meaning that we distance ourselves because of worldly concern. What will we miss out on if we keep Jesus here? What will we miss out on if we do the things that that we know God is calling us to of spiritual value, but of worldly value we'll lose? Don't miss in verse 18. Read verse 18 for yourself. As Jesus was getting into the boat... You know what that means? He said, no problem. And he left. Jesus shouldn't have to have our begging for him to stay. He is the son of God. Jesus is is not going to force himself on anyone. He he is, is a gentleman. God doesn't force himself on us, and he shouldn't have to. And so... When it says the crowd began pleading with Jesus, if he doesn't leave, we're going to lose out. If he doesn't leave, then we're going to lose money. If he doesn't leave, we're all going to have to change our ways. Please go. And Jesus did not stick around because they didn't want him to. And so he got into the boat. Finally, look at verses 18 through 20. Because there's one guy that didn't want him to leave. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Begged to go with him. But Jesus said, now go home to your family. He says, no, go home to your family. And tell everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. So the man started off to visit the ten towns of that region and began to proclaim the great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed at what he told them. The one that was connected to sin and all of those who had sin but didn't have demons that loved their sin more than they loved the living God asked Jesus to leave. But the one who had been changed and he knew it wanted to go wherever he was going. The crowd had begged Jesus to leave. The changed man asked Jesus to take him along. He knew his freedom. Think about it. Think about where he was and where he is now. He knew his new relationship with God, that he was right with God. Before, there was no chance of that. He was living in evil. Evil began to possess him. And now he had a new and right relationship with God. He went from naked and crazy to clothed and sane. Simple message here as we close. Last page, I promise. Last page. Follow the master and not the multitude. Hey, teenagers... College kids. But while we're at it, grown people and senior adults. Follow the master, not the multitude. We have seen in our nation's history in recent months and years where multitudes of people begin to riot on both sides of the aisle and people sitting there watching them that joined them. What would Jesus have done? What did Jesus lead us to do? Follow the master, not the multitude. Y'all listen, just because everybody's going in the same direction don't mean that's the right direction. 
Follow the master, not the multitudes. Where Jesus leads, we should follow. And finally, Jesus actually told him no. He wanted to follow the feet of Jesus. And Jesus said no and gave him this instruction. Go home to your family. Instead of going with me, go home to your family and tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he's been. Instead of following me now, go and be a missionary. Go home to your family. Now, home to your family is actually translated to thy own folks. Go to your own folks and be a missionary. Go and tell them. Can you think about it? When's the last time this guy's going home for Thanksgiving? When's the last time this guy's had a Christmas dinner with his family? He's been at the tombs. He's been possessed by an evil spirit. Can you imagine when he goes home to his family right as rain? Knocks on the door. They're going to ask, what has happened to you? And then he gets to tell them of the Most High God so that they can believe too. And don't miss this. Basically, Jesus sending him home is grace because his home was nearby to the town of the people that sent Jesus away. So there's the grace of God. God leaves an agent that was possessed by a demon who's now working for him. He flipped him and now he's serving him in the town that wanted to send Jesus away. The grace of God. Y'all, a saved person is a sent person. If you are saved, you are sent. Where did Jesus send him? Well, it started with his family. That first circle. Again, he would have certainly been estranged from them. To thy own folks means friends and family. Listen, friends and family, make sure the salvation of friends and family. Do it. Pray for them. Have an intentional conversation with them. Love on them and don't give up on them. Now, don't worry them to death. We talked about in our group this morning, the one that we were in. There's a difference between winning an argument and winning a person. Pray for thy own folks. Pray for those people that are in your first circle and reach to them with the love of Christ. Live as Christ before those that you know so that you will be a good steward of your salvation and God will send you eventually to those folks that you don't know. A saved person is a sent person. What will it be for you today? Will you send Jesus away for the umpteenth time or will you simply and seriously believe by turning from yourself and turning to God? What for you today? Will, will you be a sent person and that person that's on your heart, you'll not dismiss that anymore, but you'll think about praying for them. You would even come to the altar today and lay them before God. And praying that they yield. We have people that submit prayer requests every single week for those in their family who have not yet yielded to the love of a living God. Would you pray for those, for your own folks today? Or would you send away the Spirit's draw to your heart? Would you stand to your feet with me?